Jesus Christ and the empty tomb, that is the message of Easter. That is the hope of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ. If you have, if you are a five, fifth grade and under and would like to go out with Miss Jenny for a fun time in children's church, you can be dismissed and go and join them right now. Again, thank you so much for being here today. Take your copy of God's Word if you have it and turn to John's Gospel, chapter number 20. Empty is a word that we often associate with disappointment and being sad, like you just said, empty wallet. Ever been there? Empty wallet? Empty gas tank? I was that close to that yesterday. I always say, when somebody runs out of gas, it's just a sign of stupidity, okay? Once I came and lived in metro Atlanta for a while, I said, when my gas tank hits a quarter tank, it's time to fill it up. But I had lots of errands and lots to do, and I got close, but I did not run out of gas. An empty refrigerator. You can look at me and tell that doesn't happen too often, okay? I'm going to make sure I eat, if nothing else. Empty bank account. Thank God for um, bounce protection that we have through Robbins Federal Credit Union. And then empty nest when the kids go away from home. But an empty heart. What's <laughs> And they come home, they come home. We have our daughter is with us, and we're thrilled and excited to have her with us at home. But an empty heart, an empty heart is the saddest thing. But as the video said, the empty tomb of Easter is our hope. We want to reclaim that word empty and celebrate the word empty because Jesus is alive and the tomb is empty. If you're physically able, please stand and let's honor the reading of God's word. We honor God's word because it's not just a book. It's not just a fairy tale. It is divinely inspired, 66 love letters penned by, penned by ordinary men, but the Holy Spirit of God moved through them to write the words of Scripture. Divinely inspired, that just means there's no mistakes in it. It came straight from God. John chapter 20, verse number 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who was that? That was John. He's the one writing. I guess he didn't want to brag on himself, so he didn't say, hey, it was me, but he's, it's him. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Again, John's not wanting to brag and say, I beat him. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped looked in and saw that the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And old Simon Peter, I preached by him several weeks ago, he was always the impulsive one. That's why I identify with him. He went on in, he arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings, folded up, they tell us, in um, culturally in that season when a napkin was folded a certain way that meant somebody was coming back and we believe that's the way that napkin was covered because Jesus is coming back then the disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead Lord Jesus thank you for your word thank you for the privilege that we have in this nation still to worship freely. We didn't have to hide this morning. We're not huddled in a basement somewhere like our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world today who fear for law enforcement because of their faith. Thank you for the freedom that we still have in this nation. Forgive us when we take that for granted. But thank you most of all for the hope of the empty tomb. We thank you that because of the empty tomb, there's hope for hurting hearts today. And I pray that even today, 
And even as this message goes out on the World Wide Web later this week, that some people would be introduced to you and come to know you in a real and a personal way for the first time ever. It's in the name of your son Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. There were throughout the Old Testament, sometimes theologians refer to, to the Old Testament as Jesus the Messiah concealed. He was, they were talking about prophecies of a coming Messiah. In the New Testament, the Bible's divided into 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. If you have trouble remembering things like I do, 39, 3 times 9 is 27. That's how I can remember that. And you add those together and we get the 66 books. So the Old Testament is Jesus Christ concealed. The New Testament is Jesus Christ revealed. The revealing of the Messiah all throughout. Jesus Christ can be found in every single book of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. They had the Messianic prophecies. Our Jewish forefathers were looking forward to the Messiah to come. And there were specific things that were told about him. One of them is that he would ride into Jerusalem on a colt, on a donkey. Pastor Roger preached about that last week for Palm Sunday. And if you go to Free Chapel this afternoon, they have Jesus riding in on a colt right there in the church house. It was pretty cool. But all of these messianic prophecies, every one of them is important because God is telling us, if God said it, you can take it to the bank. God always, always, always keeps his promises. Now, my daughter is here. She can probably tell you times growing up, I may make a promise to my kids and not come through on that. Not because I meant to or I was a liar, but I'm imperfect. And we're all imperfect, right? If, you're, if, if you feel like your life is messed up, you've come to the right place. The church is a place for messed up people, not perfect. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there is one, Jesus our Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Thousands of years before Jesus was born, the prophet said, Behold, the virgin will conceive, and she'll bear a son, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, if you know anything about biology, my daughter's about to graduate from nursing school. Woohoo! we're excited about that. And Misty's been a great encouragement to her, another nurse in her life. That's biologically impossible. A virgin who's never had a physical relationship with a man, humanly that is impossible to bear a child unless God comes into the equation. That's why we know Jesus did not. He couldn't have an earthly father because dudes... The fathers, we're the one who pass on the curse of sin. If Jesus had an earthly father, that curse of sin would have been passed on. But he was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, he was born of a virgin, Mary. Jesus came to die so that we could live again. He was God's perfect sacrifice. But right from the start, Satan pushed him in hopes that he would sin and then no longer qualify to reclaim this world from him. He pushed him in the desert. He tempted him in every way. But you remember Jesus used the spoken word to turn him away. For 33 years, he pushed him, pushed him to Calvary, where there he planned to kill the Son of God and ensure his victory. They spit upon my Jesus, pushed and called him names. Finally, they nailed him to a cross and hung him there in shame. They laid him in a borrowed tomb, pushed that big old stone across the door. Finally, the war was over. Satan said, he's dead now. No need to push him anymore. Not a word was heard at the tomb that day, just shuffling soldiers' feet as they guarded the grave. One day, two days, three days had passed. Could it really be that Jesus had breathed his last? Could it be that his father had forsaken him, turned his back on his son, despising our sin? 
all hell seemed to whisper, just forget him. He's dead. But then the father looked down to his son and said, Arise, my love. Arise, my love. The grave no longer has a hold on you. No more destiny, no more suffering. Arise, arise, arise. And then that stone rolled away and hit the tree that shook the bird that shouted loud to the clouds, Good news, have you heard? Oh, Satan arose in a huff and said, What's going on? And all creation shouted back at him, he's gone, yes, he's gone. And you know what happened? He came up out of that grave, and he lives today. Nothing could hold him, kill, or control him. He just pushed death out of the way. He came up out of the grave, my conqueror and Lord, and though once he allowed it, my Jesus won't be pushed anymore. Sin, where are your shackles? Death, where is your sting? Hell has been defeated because the grave could not hold our king. Empty is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we lose a little bit in the translation of Scripture. Sometimes the word in the original language doesn't exactly translate into English. You know, the Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. When we think of hope, I think of like, man, two is nice, but I hope my Bulldogs win them third national championship this year. That's hope. I don't know that's going to happen, but I hope so. Randy hopes it doesn't. I hope it does. Hope. I hope the Braves go back to the World Series, but I'm old enough that I know enough that I've had my heart broken enough that may not happen, but I hope it does. When we say that Jesus in the empty tomb is the hope that we have in the original language, that didn't mean hope like we mean. It's an absolute certainty. Take it to the bank. Mark it down. God always keeps his promises. And just as Jesus was born the first time of a virgin in that Bethlehem manger, Scripture says he's coming back again. He rose from the dead, but he ascended back to heaven, and he's coming back again just as sure as I'm standing here. Can you imagine the look in the old devil's eyes when that tomb was empty? Can you imagine the hideous screams of hell? They thought they'd won. Hell is celebrating, but yet the tomb is empty. My favorite all-time hymn, my favorite all-time song is Because He Lives by Bill and Gloria Gaither. Gloria Gaither wrote that. You know, Bill Gaither was just smart enough to marry Gloria. She's the game, the, the brains behind it. She wrote these songs, but it says, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He bled and died to buy my pardon, and my life is worth the living just because he lives. What's the big deal about the empty tomb? Why does it matter anyway? Pastor Matt said earlier, Muhammad is a dude that many people worshiped and some still do, and he walked the earth just like Jesus walked the earth, but Muhammad is dead in a tomb, and he's not touching lives today. He was never seen again. That big old fat belly Buddha, I think my belly's big, but Buddha's was bigger than that. You can go and find him. He's dead in a tomb somewhere. I've been to Moscow, Russia. The first international mission trip that I did was to Moscow, Russia, right after the Iron Curtain fell. It was amazing to be there at that time and to meet people who never had a Bible, who never had somebody tell them about Jesus. But there in Red Square in Moscow lies the body of Vladimir Lenin, the god of communism. That body is still there, and I don't know what year he died, but the joker's preserved for them to see, and he ain't getting back up again. But Jesus Christ is the only one who has been worshipped, and he raised himself by his own power from the dead. Is Jesus the only person to rise from the dead? No. Jesus rose, Lazarus from the dead. There's a few people in Scripture who rose from the dead. But Jesus is the only one by his very own power resurrected himself from the dead. And as Randy said in our adult Bible study Wednesday night, 
I mean, you've got all these people that were admired, like Buddha, uh, Genghis Khan, Muhammad, and people looked up to them, but nobody split time in two like Jesus Christ, B.C. before Christ, and A.D. after Christ. Easter Sunday is what differentiates Christianity from all the other false religions of the world, because our Savior is alive. Just three things I want you to write down quickly, because we're going to my cousin Sean's mama's house for lunch, so anybody who could help us afterwards, we're going to pack up and load up, and everybody go visit with family. Number one, because the tomb is empty, my sin debt went from full to empty. My sin debt went from full to empty. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why I say church is a place for messed up people because we're all messed up. We're all messed up just in different ways. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22, again, this was foretold in the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, if you've studied any of the Old Testament, they were constantly killing animals. They were bringing animals to sacrifice. They were shedding the blood of animals. Hebrews says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for our sin. I'm messed up. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But it took precious blood, not just any blood. And the, they kept having to sacrifice the animals over and over and over again. But when Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, hung on that cross and shed his blood for my sins, when he said, it is finished. In the Greek language, the word is one word, tetelestai. And it meant the debt is paid in full. If you've ever paid off a house, which I haven't, I don't know that I live long enough to pay off a house, but I paid off a car before, and they stamped that thing paid in full. That's what Jesus said from the cross. It is finished, meaning my sin debt is paid in full. Your sin debt is paid in full. Although my sins are many, if I go to the Lord and I start confessing stuff that he's already forgiven, it's like he looks at you and goes, what sin? What are you talking about? The Bible says, for everything I've done up to the moment of my salvation, he buries it as far as the east is from the west, never to remember it anymore. You see, I owed a debt I could never pay, but Jesus paid a debt. He didn't know. In my place, if you want some theology, theological terms, we call it substitutionary atonement. It means I should have been on that cross, but Jesus died in my place. It should have been me. Romans chapter 10, verses, let me back up and say Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin. What I deserve for being a sinner, what I deserve for messing up over and over and over again, I should die and I should go to hell. But, I love the but gods in Scripture, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. You know, when my wife and daughter woke up this morning, you know, the Easter Bunny had already been there and left gifts. They didn't have to earn them. They didn't have to go to work. They didn't have to wash the car. They were just, poof, magically there, right? You, you know the story, but we're online and kids listen, so I won't go into any more detail than that. But you, you don't earn a gift. You just receive a gift. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if we openly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God really did raise him from the dead, you can be saved, saved from my sin, saved from having to go to hell, saved from the consequences of my sin. It's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God and by openly declaring your faith, you are saved. Most of you have heard my story repeatedly. I don't remember a time in my life I didn't believe Jesus was God's son. As long as I can remember, 
I had a sweet little granny named Faustine Dura that lived next door to me who played the piano in a little country church, Sheridan Baptist Church in Cordell. And my granny, when mom and daddy didn't go to church, my granny made sure I was in vacation Bible school. She made sure I went to church with her when I would. She taught me that. I believe that. Mine and Sean's papa, John Shepard Jr., listened to WMJM radio and the Ellis Quartet singing gospel music and the Happy Goodman family on the Gospel Singing Jubilee. Who remembers the Gospel Singing Jubilee? You just aged yourself when you admitted that, right? But I grew up, I remember, I knew all of that right here in my head, but in my heart. You see, Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth. I've done that, but believe in your heart, that's different. I was 15 years old before I really believed the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in my heart. I was 15 before I legit was saved. And the beauty of that. One of the trademarks, if you will, of Transformation Church, particularly if today's your first time here, I like to say we have two churches. We have this church that's here today, and then we have the church that our students are, are here. So most of our students, thank God for McKenna, a UNG student. I said, we've got to reach more UNG students because they have a different Easter break. McKenna was here at 7 o'clock helping us set up, but many of our students are true at McConnell, and so they are away. But one of the phrases that we throw out all the time is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. You mess up, no condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, my sins are forgiven because of that precious blood. It only took one drop of Jesus' blood for my sin debt to be paid. And he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, what does this really mean? That if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things of died, died and been buried with Christ in, in the likeness of his death, were raised to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. That's the transformation that only Jesus can do. We're praying about a name for our new church. We went with the name Transformation Church because we know the gospel of Jesus Christ can transform anybody and everybody, regardless of your language, regardless of your skin pigment, regardless of your last name or where you came from or where you work. Jesus transforms lives, and he's still doing that even today. And you say, oh, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. I don't have to know what you've done. You know, we don't come and confess our sins to priests. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible because Jesus died in my place. It gives us direct access. You can go right to God. You don't come to me or a priest anywhere. We go right to God. Jesus doesn't care what you've done before. He doesn't care how you've rebelled or slammed the door on him. He only knows that he loves you, and he wants to transform your life and take that empty heart and put his hope in there. So when people say, but you don't know what I've done, can I just politely say, don't flatter yourself. Don't make such a big deal of yourself that you are bigger and badder than the blood of Jesus. We put a no fishing sign on that sin, and we just simply believe. Alistair Begg is a, a British preacher, and I'd never heard this. I heard this on the radio on Friday um, on a talk radio program, and he was talking about, and he played a clip of this sermon about the thief on the cross, which Pastor Roger about a month ago preached so eloquently on the thief on the cross. You remember the story of the thief on the cross? That, Jesus was crucified on that middle cross, and there were two thieves on either side. And they cussed Jesus, they mocked Jesus, and then one of them believed Jesus. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Alistair Begg says, it's like this thief on the cross, he shows up in heaven. And maybe the gatekeeper, the angel in heaven says, why are you here? And he says, I don't know. What did you do to get here? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, I just don't know. I was cussing this man on, on the middle cross. Then I believed in him. 
and I'm here. He didn't know a thing about church membership. He ain't never been baptized. He'd never tithed. He'd never been to Sunday school. He'd never been on a mission trip. But poof, there he is in heaven. And imagine the confusion of that angel saying, mm, just let me go get my supervisor. So he goes and gets the supervisor angel. And supervisor angel says, no, wait a minute. Can you explain the doctrine of justification? I ain't never heard of that in my life. Can you explain to me the inerrancy of Scripture? I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you explain to me, really, on what basis are you here? All I know is the man on the middle cross. I believed him, and he said I could be here. If you put your faith, your hope, and your trust on the man in the middle cross, just like the thief on the cross, you too can go to heaven. But listen, if God leaves me on this earth, I think I need to do more. I think I need to get involved in a church. I need to read my Bible. I need to pray. But I don't do those things to be saved. I'm saved because I believe that man on the middle cross, just like the thief there on the cross. That's the only answer. The answer that he gave is the only answer you and I can give. And we just get messed up sometimes, don't we, in our churchianity. And that's one of the beautiful things for me in a church plant. I'm not putting down any other church. We were parts of my whole, from the time I got saved, I've been a part of traditional, organized Baptist churches. I'm not putting those down. I'm, we served at a mega church in middle Georgia, a very large church. I'm not putting that down. But the beautiful thing about a, a church plant is nobody says, we for 50 years, son, we ain't never done it that way. I'll never hear that because we, we hadn't been here 50 years. Nobody said, that's not the way we do things around here. No, we got a blank slate. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, all you got to do is put your faith, hope, and trust on the man on that middle cross, Jesus, and you'll get to spend eternity with him. But sometimes in our churchianity, I just, not Christianity, but churchianity, well, you know, you got to dress a certain way. Listen, it's Easter, and growing up, Mom always made sure we had new clothes on Easter. I'm the preacher. I ain't got a new thing on me today, okay? We're just, we come, we're, God's more concerned about our hearts than how we are dressed. If you have something new, that's awesome. More power to you. The truth is, I did order a $20 Amazon shirt, but it was short-sleeved, and it was too cold to wear it today, okay? But it was not a dress shirt and no tie. Men, can I tell you something? I think I can prove to you in the Bible there will be no ties in heaven. You know why? Because the Bible says there's no pain and suffering in heaven. And ties are nothing but pain and suffering. And when my wife hears me say that, she adds, and pantyhose too for women. That's what, that's what she says, no pain. And so listen, God's more concerned about our hearts. We, we want you to get involved in Bible study. We want you to read your Bible. We want you to share your faith. But we don't do those things to earn God's favor. All you do is believe the man on the middle cross. And when I go there and I think, well, look at what I've done. Look how much money I've given to the church. Look at how I get up and come here at 7 o'clock in the morning. I sacrifice. We start looking at us. We've messed it all up. It ain't about what we do. It's about what he already did. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I didn't do one thing to deserve my salvation. But I believe the man in the middle cross was the son of God. So that's the first thing. Number two, write this down. Because the tomb is empty. My life can go from empty to full. My sin debt went from full to empty when I put my faith in Jesus. And my, my life can go from empty to full. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, the thief's purpose, and he's talking about the devil, Lucifer. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come. The man on the middle cross came so that we could have life and life more abundantly. And the New Living Translation says to give him a rich and a satisfying life. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
Because he lives, all my fears are gone. We live in a messed up world. Those of you who know me know that several years, I just had to give up watching news. I mean, I'm not saying to put your head under a rock and ignore it, but I used to be a news junkie. I watched that mess all the time, and it kept me all stirred up and all worked up. Nothing I can do to change it. Pray and vote your convictions. That's all you can do. But my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I don't care who's in the White House. Well, I do care, but, you know, that's not where my hope is. And my hope is not in who controls Congress. My hope is not in the stock market. They ain't got much of nothing there anyway. My hope's not in the price of gold. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We sang this earlier. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. My hope's in Jesus. But because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. Contextually, I understand this was a promise through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, contextually. But I think we can translate that over to the New Testament. The best commentary on Scripture is other Scripture, okay? And we can see, we can apply this, I think, to the church today. Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you. Maybe you feel like you're going through a mess. Maybe you feel like your life is in shambles. God says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to, for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Listen, I'm not just hanging on until I get to heaven. I, I get excited when we sing about heaven. We sang it earlier, and I just got that lump in my throat when I think about the fact that I'm going to heaven. My daddy's there. My stepmom's there. My grandparents are there, and I know I'm going there. You know, people say, where are, you, where are you from? Where do you live? Well, I grew up in South Georgia. And then we went to UGA to school, met my bride there. Went to Lynchburg, Virginia, where my two, our two babies were born and got a seminary degree there. Then we lived in middle Georgia for 19 years and been here for seven years. But ain't none of those my home. I'm just a stranger here. I'm just, I don't even belong. I'm just passing through, trying to do the best I can to honor Jesus, but my home is in heaven. But I'm not just hanging on until I get there. Jesus said you can have a rich, abundant, satisfying life even on this earth. And my life verse, you know, I've said before, if I could only have one book in the whole Bible, I'd pick Romans. It's my favorite book. If I could only have one chapter in the whole Bible, I would pick Romans 8 that starts, we said earlier, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. People say, but you used to do this, Mike. I've seen you do that. There's no condemnation because of Jesus. But if I could only have one verse, I'd pick Romans 8, 28. I call that my life verse. And we know, I don't wish, I don't hope, and I don't think, and we know that God allows everything to work together for what? Good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. If I trust in the man on the middle cross, he's going to work all that together for my good. Have you ever eaten a handful of flour? It's nasty. I don't recommend it, okay? Have you ever drunk, you know, a half a cup of oil? It's nasty. I don't recommend that. Raw eggs, I have done that. You know, it's hard to look at me now and believe what a skinny kid I was, but I was. And I watched the movie Rocky. Rocky Balboa would drink those raw eggs and milkshakes. I tried to, I did that. So I've drunk raw eggs. You know, a handful of sugar. I've never eaten a handful of sugar, but I like me some sugar. The flour's nasty. Oh, all this stuff that's nasty, baking powder, baking soda, whatever. But when you put all that stuff together and throw in some sour cream up in there and put it in the oven, 
you got a delicious sour cream pound cake. Stuff that's nasty on its own, but it works together to make something amazingly good. That's what God does with my life and your life. The hurts of our life. I come from a broken home. My dad was a drunk. His dad was a drunk. Jesus transformed my family. He saved me first. Later on, got to my daddy. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God allows all things to work together for good to those who love him. That's a conditional promise, by the way. I have people say, well, you know, everything works out for the best. Not necessarily. The promise in Romans 8, 28 says, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you don't love God, if you're not a child of God, I heard somebody on the radio the other day say, everybody's a child of God. That's a lie. Everybody is a creation of God, but not everybody is a child of God until we put our faith, our hope, and our trust on the man in the middle cross. Because of that empty tomb, my life can go from empty to full today. And finally, number three, because the tomb is empty, my future, I've already gotten ahead of myself, my future can go from empty torment, the empty torment of hell, to fullness of joy. Some of you have heard me preach. I told my daughter, she heard me preach at at a church in Winder, I think it was, several years ago. And I shared this illustration, and I've shared it in other churches. I said, anytime I preach at a new church for the first time on Easter, I'm going to tell this story because it's an awesome story, and I love telling it. My wife and I were blessed several years ago to do something that we could have never afforded. A couple in one of our churches on the board for, a, for some ministry, what's the one through Chick-fil-A, Windshake Foundation. And they were going to take a marriage cruise on a sailboat through the Virgin Islands, just five or six couples, I forget how many. It was like a dream come true from a little boy in Port Hill who grew up in a single-wide mobile home, okay? To get to do something like that was amazing. But the couple who led that, Jeff and Debbie McElroy, maybe you've heard of them or seen them. They've been in churches. They do a lot of marriage seminars. And she tells the story of her little sister, Tammy. Her little sister, Tammy, has Down syndrome. Well, that got our attention because we have a nephew, Clay, who has Down syndrome. If you know anything about them, they're some of the most loving children you'll ever meet anywhere. And she said they were doing a passion play at Easter. A passion play is like what we saw at Free Chapel yesterday, a reenactment of the life of Christ. And Debbie said when Tammy watched that and they crucified Jesus, they nailed him to the cross, she said big old tears started to roll down Tammy's face. Her little lips started to quiver when she saw what they were doing to Jesus. And she's watching the passion play and she's engrossed in that. And said, she said she's just sitting there on the edge of her seat and They get to the part where the stone rolls away. And they look in and it's empty in the middle of all those people. She said, little Tammy said, I knew it, I knew it. I knew he was alive in front of all those people. Listen, Tammy hadn't got over the joy of her salvation. The problem with me, the problem with some of us is we get over it. We should never get over the empty tomb, the event that changed all of human history. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 says, for me to live means living for Christ. As long as I'm on this earth, I need to live for Jesus. But dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So really, I don't know which one is better, he says, whether to live for Christ or go to heaven. Either way, I ain't going to lose, okay? My teams might lose, but I'm never, ever, ever going to lose. We're often guilty of getting over what Tammy had not forgotten. The tomb is empty, y'all. We need to be excited. We need to be sharing that story with other people because I don't have to fear death, y'all. I don't have to fear death anymore. As a little boy, I was afraid of death. What's going to happen to me when I die? You know, I don't want to leave my mom and dad. I don't want them to put me in the ground. Jesus says in John 14 and verse number 1, he's, he's telling them, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to go away. But he says, y'all don't freak out about this. Let not your heart be troubled, John 14. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions. For a little boy who grew up in a single-wide trailer, that gets my attention. I think I can live in a mansion. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place for you, I'm going to come back. I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am there, you can be also. And Thomas, the doubter, must have been a Baptist. He was doubting what the preacher was telling him. Thomas doubted Jesus. He said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus made one of the most important statements in all of Scripture. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm one of the good ways to get to heaven. He didn't say that. Jesus did, he didn't even say, I'm the best way to get to heaven. He said, I am the way. I know I don't talk like it. I don't speak like it in my South Georgia. But I did always make A's in English in high school and college. That word the is a definite article. If I say we're going to a ball game, you know what ball game we're going to. But if I say we're going to the Diamond Dogs game, that's the Georgia Bulldogs baseball team versus Georgia Tech, you know what I'm talking about. He used a definite article. I, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. That's what the man on the middle cross said. That's what Jesus said. He's the only way to get to heaven. I've met people say, listen, preacher, all roads lead to heaven. No, they do not. That's a lie from the pit of hell. All roads do not lead to heaven. Jesus is the only way. There's only two eternal destinations, smoking and non-smoking, heaven or hell. Hell is a place of torment forever and forever and forever. You know, I'm fascinated with fire. My papa, we used to, you know, have, have fires. We'd go to Big Mama's house in town. She was my great-grandmother and rake leaves and burn them and we throw pecans in the fire, and they'd get hot and pop out. We'd put them in the bird bath to cool off so we could crack them and eat them. The thing about those leaves, it would burn up, and it was gone. That's not what hell is. The Bible says hell is a place where, e where worms are not going to die. Once again, growing up in South Georgia, McKenna, you're from South Georgia too, right? That black asphalt on Cemetery Road where I grew up in the summertime where it'd give me 100 degrees, you let a worm crawl on that, and that thing's going to fry right there on the sidewalk. Put an egg on it, and it'll fry. The Bible says hell is a place. It's a place of torment. It's a place of fire, but you're never consumed. Just like Moses in the Old Testament in the burning bush, the bush burned and burned, but it was never consumed. Not even a worm's going to die. It's a place of eternal torment. Why would anybody want to go there? I don't know. God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself. He says, hey, you got to receive the gift. He's not going to make you. If you want to go to hell, you can go to hell. But you got to go over the blood of Jesus to get there because he made it possible that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the reality of hell. And again, my favorite song, then one day I'll cross that river and I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as my death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns. I'll get to see the face of my Savior. The man on the middle cross, that's my king. That's who we're talking about today. I love the old preacher, S.M. Lockridge. Y'all have heard of S.M. Lockridge? The S.M. stands for Shadrach Meshach, named after the heroes in Scripture. He said, I grew up poor. I was Shadrach Meshach with no shack. And I put his video on my Facebook Friday for Good Friday where he says, it's Friday, but Easter's coming. Listen, I can't tell it like Dr. Lockridge. Watch this video of Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge tells you about that man on the middle cross. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords.
Lord. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? If you don't know him, the Bible says it is so simple that even a child can comprehend the plan of salvation. I didn't get saved till I was 15. My wife was a little girl at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If you don't know him, if you don't know that man on the middle cross, listen, their nails, their cross, and their tomb, none of that held him there, but it was his love for me and his love for you that held him on that cross. His love killed death, and it still transforms lives today. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I wonder, do you know him today? If you don't, as we learn from the thief on the cross, you don't have to sign up for 12 happy hops to heaven class. 
You don't have to memorize your Bible. You don't have to write a big fat check to the church. If you want to, that's fine. But you don't do any of that to earn our salvation, okay? Jesus paid it all. We just received the gift of salvation. You say, well, I don't understand all that. The thief on the cross didn't either. You don't even know why he got there. Just believe on the man on the, the, man on the middle cross. Whatever you need this morning, that empty tomb screams the answer. Whatever you need this morning, that empty tomb is talking and it's screaming the answer. Whatever you need today, Jesus is. If you need to know him in a real and a personal way, if you've never given your life to Christ, nothing is more important than that. All that matters 10,000 years from today is, did you know the man on the middle cross? Look at me, not just right here but in your heart? Do you have that relationship with him? I love the old song that says, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever Do you know him in a real and a personal way? Listen, you can memorize the Bible cover to cover, but if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've memorized the greatest stuff you can memorize, but let him transform your life. He'll set you free from bitterness. He'll set you free from alcohol. He'll set you free from drugs. He'll set you free from unforgiveness. He'll set you free from anger. Whatever you need this morning, Jesus is the answer. If you need to be saved, we invite you to give your life to Christ today. If you've got some stuff in your life that's kind of hindered you, listen, there's a period of my life, if you met me, you wouldn't think I was a Christian. You'd look at my life and say, there's no way that guy knows the Lord. But here's the thing about God. He chastens those that he loves. Because I was his child, you know, when, you're, when, when, you know, when you had little kids, you didn't understand it when you were a kid. But then when you have kids and you have to spank them, you say, this hurts me may, way more than it hurts you. Mark Lowry used to say, I want to tell my mom, okay, bend over and beat the, beat the devil out of you. No, that's not the way it works. But it does. It, it hurts. But why do, why, do we, why do we chasten our children? Because we love them. God disciplines those he loves. If God did not chasten this dude you're looking at, I'd be in Sunnyside Cemetery, Cordill, or in a rehab clinic somewhere. But because God loves his children, he disciplines us. And although you might not have believed I was saved for about 18 months of my life, deep down in my heart, he was convicting me and pulling me back because he loves me. And the only reason I'm standing here today is because of that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was spiritually blind, but now I can see. Because he loves me, because he was not done with me yet, as long as you've got breath in your body, he wants to use you like a little Down syndrome girl who stood up in the midst of a passion play and said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew he was alive. He's alive, y'all. That empty tomb screams whatever you need this morning. Would you pray with me? Because I'm so thrilled we've got a number of People here today for the first time, I hope you felt the presence of God today. I have no doubt that our people are friendly and our people make people feel welcome, but I hope you experience the presence of God today. The question is from Dr. Lockridge, do you know him? Do you know my king? If not, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I used to think I'm going to do that one day. One of these days I'm going to do that. No, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Scripture goes on to say, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote, listen, our life's like a vapor. You know, a vapor on the stove when your mama's cooking lunch. That vapor's there for a little while, and it's gone. So there's an urgency in giving our life to Christ. I'm an older dude. I've been doing this a long time. I preach funerals of old people. 
I preach funerals of young people. Preach funerals of kids. Nobody knows. Our life's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes. You say, I don't like preachers who try to scare me. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Today is the day of salvation. If the Holy Spirit of God's dialing up your number, don't let him get a busy signal. Answer. Receive the gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was the man on the middle cross, that whoever believes in him, just believe that Jesus is who he said he is, and that God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. Maybe you're like I was for a period of time. If you knew me, you'd never believe I was a Christian. I had to come to a point of repentance in my life, except the promise of 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sins, now see, God already knows it. Why do I need to confess it? It's humbling myself and saying, God, I, you already know this, but I've messed up. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All is an all-inclusive term. There's nothing you can do to separate you from the love of God. All. If you're a child of God, you haven't been living like it, why don't you accept that U-turn that God promises in the Scripture? Confess it. Make a recommitment. You don't have to get saved again. Make a recommitment of your life to his lordship. Maybe something is heavy on your heart and you just need somebody to pray with you or for you. We have people here that would love to pray with you, pray for you. In just a moment, Pastor Matt's going to lead us in a song where we invite you to respond. You can come to this. It looks like just a platform to you, but it, we, it's an altar to us. We come here, we pray. We do business with the Lord. We've got It's padded down here so you don't hurt your knees. But if you just want to come and pray <clears throat> privately, you do that. If you want someone to pray with you, we got people who will do that. When the service is over, my wife and I'll be at the my wife and I'll be at the connect corner right outside these doors to the right. I want to meet you. I want to give you a gift. Miss Katrina, members of our prayer team will be there to pray with you. You got a prayer need and you don't feel comfortable coming right now, but you want to pray privately. There'll be people out there at the connect corner to pray with you privately. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it's power. I thank you for your blood. Not just any blood, but that precious blood that paid for my salvation. I thank you that the tomb is empty, and because the tomb is empty, whatever I need, Jesus is the answer. I pray that today people would turn to you in faith and receive the gift of salvation. Whatever you're speaking to hearts today, Lord, we just want to be obedient. You were obedient to hang on the cross for me. I want to be obedient to whatever you ask me to do. May you be honored in this time right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Everything's okay between you and the Lord? You stand together and sing along with Pastor Matt. If you want to come and pray privately here or somewhere else, you pray privately. You want to sit in your seat and pray? You pray. We don't have a certain way of doing things here. you got the liberty to do what God can. Let's respond to you.